Ephesians 4, verses 14 to 16. Paul has been talking about how we grow into unity of the faith, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Am I on? I'm, I'm confused by this high-powered technology as to whether mute is on or not, but I'm... I can hear myself, so I hope you can hear me too, good. Do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. No, that's okay. Uh, it's very important to have the Bible one way or another open in front of you as preachers or teachers teach, because you need to check what we say is actually in line with the Scripture. Don't be mesmerized uh, by the... Uh, charisma of the teacher, or lack of charisma. Stick in the word and make sure that what he or she is saying um, is in line with the Holy Bible. I want to begin just by saying thank you. Thank you so much for inviting us. Gosh, I, I wasn't meant to get emotional at this stage. Thank you for the... the the warmth of your welcome. Andy and I have uh, been looking forward to this, but it's exceeded our expectations. It's been so very, very lovely um, to be with you. And we have been so encouraged. We're so encouraged to see the DNA of St. Barnabas still healthy. Uh, we're not surprised by that, but to still see the commitment to encouragement, to worship and intimacy in worship, to getting to grips with the Scripture and to allowing the Holy Spirit to work, um, to partying, very impressed by your commitment to partying, <laughs> good food, that's always been important um, in the church down the ages, and I'm glad to see we're still concerned about that, and just been a, a very, very special time. Um, but also, it's been so encouraging for us meeting some of the, the new folk here, and the, the very real sense of God doing something new amongst you. And I'm jealous uh, in a way. I just sense that you are on the cusp of a wave that the Holy Spirit is bringing in, a tide of something that's going to be happening. We're going to have to leave you, but we will stay in touch and keep praying for you and hearing about what's happening and visiting from time to time just to make sure you're, you're still on the rails. <laughs> so thank you very much indeed. I've been talking to one or two people about the issues in the church, uh, wider church of the day and who picked me up on some of my clear indications about the Bible's view uh, on sexuality and uh, sexual ethics, um, which is a key issue. 
And I just want to recommend one more book, which we've got at the back there, which is called A, a Better Story. And um, this is a, a fresh approach <clears throat> to this whole issue, which both Andy and I found really challenging and helpful. It's by a guy called Glyn Harrison, who's an academic a psychologist, knows what he's talking about. And, and this is just a little bit of blurb on the back, which it seems to me sums it up well. What if we faced up honestly to our Christian subculture of shame and reimagined what it meant to be sexual in the image of God and remembered that we flourish when we live in harmony with God's design and left behind the broken promises of the sexual revolution to tell a better story of our own. A Better Story by Glyn Harrison at the back there. So, um, let's uh, turn back to Ephesians. Let me just pray again uh, as we start on this. Father, we, we do thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all that you're up to. And we, uh, we just pray you'd stay with us, Lord. Um, some of us are a bit tired after all the talking and dancing and partying. Thank you, Lord, for them. But we pray now for your Holy Spirit to help us to respond to your word. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, now we've looked at the fact of unity and the united faith that we share that flows uh, from that. And this morning, uh, in the rest of the chapter, really, the rest of the book of Ephesians, we're looking at the whole purpose of unity and of the gifts. And that is maturity, verse 13. The word that's used there is the word indicating perfect, as some translations have it, or finished, or complete, or fulfilled. And that's good to know that God wants us to carry on. However wonderful our beginnings are, God wants us to mature. However wonderful your story of conversion is, God wants you to keep going. It's lovely hearing about um, Virginia Dahanis. I still remember her testimony. She was had a mighty experience of the Holy Spirit when she came to Christ at an Alpha weekend. And she was so full of the joy of the Lord that she wasn't really concentrating as she was driving back to London uh, and as a result was speeding and was stopped um, by a police officer. And her story is, the police officer said, you know, do you realize you were going at 60 miles an hour and a 40 mile an hour limit? And her, her response was, Sorry, I'm, I'm not aware of any. I've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> uh, the police officer duly made a note um, and let her carry on. I wish the end of the story was that there were no negative consequences, but she still got uh, a ticket, I think. <laughs> Jesus commends childlikeness, doesn't he? But that is very different 
from childishness. We love our children and our grandchildren and our nephews and godchildren, but we want them to grow up as well. That's our aim, our prayer, our desire. And it's the same as far as following Jesus is concerned. It's lovely being a new Christian when the diary can suddenly be filled with all sorts of spiritual things. But we need to mature, we need to grow up, we need to move on from the milk of basic teaching and stretch our minds that God has given us and grapple with his word and dig deep into this gold mine of spiritual treasure. There are two great dangers for our children and for young Christians. And that means there are dangers for all of us as we mature. And the first is ignorance. That's why we invest so much energy and resources in education generally. But if you just educate children without a knowledge of God, they just grow from little devils to big devils. And we Christians need to invest in our children's Christian education. Because out there in the world, there is no time for Christian truth. And there is so much ignorance in our world about the Bible. I don't know if you know the story of the Ofsted inspector who went to a school recently and uh, descended on the religious education class and he was not convinced that they really knew what they were talking about and they were just putting on a performance which had been rehearsed for the inspector. So he interrupted the class and went up to a particular boy and said, what's your name, boy? He said, Smith. And the inspector said, never mind what we'll be talking about. Do you know about the story of uh, uh, Jericho? And um, Smith wasn't quite sure, um, but he nodded um, because he thought that was the answer that we expected. He said, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And Smith looked alarmed and said, please, sir, it wasn't me. <laughs> so Smith, uh, Smith, was let off, but the inspector was appalled. And so he went to the head teacher, and she was a very understanding lady. He poured out his concern. He said the most basic truth about uh, how the army of God walked around um, the walls of Jericho. And this boy Smith said that he didn't himself knock down the walls of Jericho. And the head teacher looked very alarmed and said, well, I'm very concerned to hear that. That's really appalling. But, but I know Smith, and uh, if he says he didn't knock down the walls, then I believe him. <laughs> well, the Ofsted inspector tore his hair out, went home and wrote to the school governors. And he said, look, you really need to know what happened. And he explained the story, and then even the headmistress um, 
saying uh, that she accepted Smith's story. And, and it was a governing body matter and they really needed to take action. And uh, a couple of weeks passed and then the inspector got a letter from the governing body share, uh, signed by the chairman saying that they had had considerable discussion about this issue, they were very concerned, and that in all the circumstances, they would fit the bill for rebuilding the walls. <laughs> okay, that's my story on ignorance. But we may smile at that, but the fact is that many, many of our young people hear hardly anything about Bible truths and Bible stories. And the Bible lays the responsibility for teaching children the ways of God, particularly on family, particularly fathers. Um, and we are family. So we need to train our children. We need to invest in those that will be the next generation of church, who are in fact part of church at the moment but who we pray and, as we invest in, will become the leaders of, of church. It's been so good to hear of the children's work, to see the children here, to see parents' energy and sacrifice. In, but we need to all be involved in that. We all have nephews and nieces, grandchildren, godchildren, we're all part of this church. We need to be concerned for um, the children's work. I do hope you realize what a, what a gift you have uh, in Charlie and Kate Hill and that you pray for them and the team and wildlife, as I gather, uh, is going to be called. Is that right? Yeah, what a great name uh, for the children's ministry and those who are, who are, are giving a great deal to that work. There are some very good resources to help us with our children. Um, there are things like the Jesus Storybook. We found that particularly good version of, uh, with our grandchildren. Uh, and then there's a, a, a series of books called Table Talk, um, which are, I think there's 12 of them. They're produced by the Good Book Company. Uh, and they're really good, practical ways of encouraging family to talk about spiritual things. And, and we and our grandchildren love some of those. I, I love the drama bits. And it's delightful to hear my grandchildren wanting me to play Goliath and the way he falls when the stone <laughs> hits his head. I've got that to perfection. We had a, we had a great one the other, the other day when we were doing... Um, Peter's denial, and um, it, the point was his Galilean accent was recognized. And so the suggestion was we all said, uh, I don't know him, uh, in our different accents. And hearing some of the um, strange accents that our six, uh, seven-year-old young grandson came up with was very remarkable. And then Andy was the cockerel uh, who crowed at the right time except she was giggling so much that it, it got slightly delayed. <laughs> Let, let's take advantage 
of these resources to invest in, in our children, as well as pray for them. But it's not just children. We all need to grow up in the things of God. We all need to mature. We all need to study the Scriptures and become immersed in the Word of God. So I, I want to ask you, are you still reading the Bible regularly? Oh, I know the job is demanding. I know the children never give you any peace and quiet. But don't let God be squeezed out. I'm not talking necessarily about hours of study. I am talking about regular time with God daily. A few minutes may be extended to a few more minutes. When I left Barnes, we went up to the cathedral. Um, there were all sorts of good things about the cathedral. I learned the value of choral music and worship. I learned about the church's year in a new, new way, that it wasn't just Christmas and Easter and Pentecost. I learned a, a, a new reverence for God. But I was also appalled by what I would call biblical illiteracy. Here were a number of faithful people who'd been to church all their lives, who'd heard more Bible in the morning liturgy than most of our kind of churches read, and yet had never got to grips with it. And as a result, even after many, many years, were ignorant of some basic truths. Recent surveys across even evangelical churches like our own show how few Christians actually look at their Bibles from Sunday to Sunday. No wonder the church is in a mess. And again, the resources are there out for us. Um, so many good Bible reading plans on our phones and apps uh, and the Bible on, on the phone. I've got all the versions, it's great. Still don't think it quite compares to having the, the book in my hand, but that's probably a, a sign of my, my age. Um, I was so glad to hear about the, those committed to reading the Bible in a year. That's a great encouragement. I personally find those passages rather too long, but something that's really helped is you can now just press the button and it speaks to you. And you can be doing other things and hearing the, the, the passage. Well, whatever it is that will encourage you to keep getting to grips with Scripture, make use of that. And, and that's, again, why the small group is so important. There's nothing like a small group to keep in There's another opportunity, as well as Sunday, to, to get to grips with the Bible, to hear the wisdom and reaction of, of others amongst us as, as we, we see how the Word of God applies to our daily life, to our work situation, to our home situation, whatever it is. Um, we are enjoying what's called retirement. You know, there's no such thing as retirement in the in kingdom ministry. You you just sort of. But it, but the good thing is, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. Um, 
unless God tells me. Well, he does tell me a few things I don't want to do, but still. Um, but one of the things that we're really enjoying again is actually leading a small group. And we meet every week. Um, every fortnight. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> I am prone to exaggerate, and my wife always corrects me. The trouble was, once she got ordained, she also corrects me on my, on my theology, which is more difficult. Um, anyway, once a fortnight. So it's not a huge commitment, but we meet together. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, I must have studied that many times over the years. And yet still, new truth is being brought to light as we, we try and work out how those wonderful but challenging principles should be lived out in our lives. There is no excuse for ignorance if you're a member of St. Barnabas. Good teaching, hubs being launched again, take advantage of all the resources there are and be built up. That way you'll reach maturity. The other great danger for immaturity, for, for for children, for childishness and childlikeness is instability, isn't it? Uh, one keeps falling over. The great thing is that that's not a disaster. Up, up you pick them, rub the knee, wipe the tears. That's the way to start walking. And it's the same spiritually. We want our children to learn physically uh, so that they can walk and then run without bumping into things. And likewise, um, we need to grow. We want our children to grow mentally in stability, not to be phased by bad behavior, uh, knocked off course by bullying, not to be prone to, to being hurt by others or suffering depression or anorexia or all those self-harming troubles that are on, on the increase. And again, likewise as Christians, we need to be stable in the face of opposition and scorn and rejection, which will undoubtedly come our way, even persecution, as many of our brothers and sisters around the world are facing, and which may well not be far off even in this country. Barn is, is full of very gifted people. And as I say, it's been a, a great joy to meet many here this weekend. But it's all too easy to be over-impressed by gifted people. And to think, gosh, I could never be like that. Let me remind us, all giftedness shows is God's generosity. Nothing to do with you, quite honestly. It's God's been willing to be generous enough to give you gifts. I found it very easy as a, a new church leader back in the 80s to be over-impressed by giftedness. There were all these young, gifted people down from university with top-class degrees and uh, excellent in sports, starting great jobs in the city, and, and one, one's eyes would think, oh, the kingdom is for revival. But I, I learned actually that far more important than giftedness is stability, is reliability. 
People who turn up when they say they're going to turn up. People who do what they say they're going to do. That's our part. That's up to us. And that leads to maturity. Paul goes on to stress how important behavior is, as important as belief. They go together like the word and spirit. Belief and behavior, doctrine and practice, they go together. And he begins with this extraordinarily emphatic statement, verse 17. I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord. I'm struck by that phrase. It sounds pretty important to me. He's saying it and he's insisting on it in the Lord. There are not many rules um, in family life. We tried to keep our, our rules fairly minimal. That way there were fewer battles to fight. Now we tried always to sit down for family meals. We were committed to saying grace and going to church uh, on Sundays as a family. And one other one that I wasn't so good about was making sure you weren't rude to mother. But that was about it. Fairly relaxed, I suppose, trying to, to keep the battles few. But Paul seems to insist on, on quite a bit. And let's unpack these a little bit now. He's saying to the Christians in Ephesus, and, and presumably to us, you're no longer what you used to be. And so it's good to recall what you were like and that you've changed. Don't be robbed of that. So many Christians seem to think of Jesus as something extra. Something good, yes, but extra. Something to enjoy on the top of the rest of life. And there's a lot of rest of life to enjoy. Like icing on the cake. We're all the same basic cake type, just a bit more sparky on the top. Well, Paul says, no, you're a whole different cake. In Christ, you're a new creation. If you live in the old ways, then this wonderful new community that God has brought together will disintegrate. And verses 18 and 19 describe those old ways that we once lived, and they're not a pretty list, are they? darkened in our understanding, verse 18, like cockroaches scuttling from the light. And because of that, we were separated from the life of God. We were ignorant and hard of heart, rejecting God. And we lost all sensitivity. We lose all self-control. We were insensitive to what God wants, verse 19, and indulgent with a continual lust for more, end of verse 90. That's a, a frightening, but if we're honest, accurate description of life without God. I enjoy films, and um, not particularly highbrow films. I like it clear who the goodies are and who the baddies are, and I like a plot and a decision, preferably with things um, ending well. So I did not respond um, to the Leonardo DiCaprio film, Wolf of Wall Street. It's based loosely on the true story of Jordan Bedford, 
and his rise to become an extraordinarily successful, ridiculously wealthy stockbroker before his fall into crime and corruption. But the advertising slogan for that film was more is never enough. And actually that's a great truth. Rockefeller was the great millionaire was once asked how much is enough? And he said it's always a little bit more. However much we have, we want more. That's how we used to be, used to be characterized. I want more. I want more of your body. I want more of you. I want your parking space. And if church life is like that, if we carry that into church life, it'll, it is brutal. And all of us need to remember that before we came to Christ, we were in some way like that. We may have been a lot better than lots of other people, but there were still those elements in us. And all of us now, I hope, are able to say, once I was a bit like that, but now, thanks be to God, I am different. It may have been sudden, it may have been gradual, but we know what we were and what we've been rescued from. And if you're here this morning and, and still find yourself identifying with Paul's description of the unbeliever's life, verse 18 and 19, then you need to get right with God before you try anything else. Doesn't matter what home group you, you join or, or what you try and do, that's the place to start and do talk to someone who you trust about that. Relationship with God is the beginning. So remember who you are now, verses 20 to 24. You didn't come to Christ that way, verse 20 says Paul. You didn't come to Christ by doing what you want, what your natural desires were. Somehow or other, you heard of him and were taught the truth, verse 20. Someone, maybe a friend, maybe a parent, maybe a preacher, taught you about Jesus. And your eyes were opened. And having come to Christ, by the Spirit's help, you have put off the old ways, verse 22, and put on the new self, verse 24. Created to be like God, a new creation with God's Holy Spirit in you. Remember that, that what, that's what God's done in you. Becoming a Christian is not just turning over a new leaf. A Christian is not just someone with a, a different set of moral values, but rather someone who by God's grace is a new creation, someone being restored to being a true human being a child of God maturing to completion, who likes to do what God wants at their best. Yeah, we're still capable of not doing what God wants, but we wake up and we hate it, and we cry out, oh Lord, have mercy. And we're able to do that because of what God has done and the assurance of being loved by God which brings such freedom. We all want to be loved. 
Our danger is that we try and earn love. I will be loved if I pass these exams. I will be loved if I look sexy. Never worked for me. I will be loved if I make people laugh. I've tried that one. You are already loved. You couldn't be loved more. God loves you as his child. He died for you. Remember who you are and how precious you are. And therefore be who you are. You know, for a number of years, I went to boarding school in the way that parents in my generation love their children, wanting them to become independent. And I, I, was, I was quite happy there, and I did quite well there in some ways. Um, but it, it ruled my life. Uh, and what the school demanded, and the, particularly the head teacher wanted, that was it. Um, I had to obey the head's every whim. And I, I was rather scared of him, if I'm honest. But eventually I left school, believe it or not. And it took me some years before I felt strong enough to go back um, after university, I think. And I went back and visited the old school and how different it felt. So much smaller, like entering a funny little bubble. But you know, suddenly I saw the headmaster coming towards me across the quadrangle, and the old feelings returned. I, I felt nervous. Had I just smoked a cigarette? When was the last time I'd had alcohol? And I'm quite sure that if he'd said to me, Irvin, follow me to my study, I would have said, yes, sir, <laughs> because that was the old self returning. And the enemy tries that trick. And he comes with his temptations and his undermining and his lies and pretends that he still has authority over us. But he doesn't. We're free. We've left all that. We have a new ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can say to Satan in the same way as I could have said to the headmaster, get out of it. You no longer have any authority over me. So be who we are. Paul was much more concerned in us being the church than going to church. Verses 25 to the beginning of chapter 5. Therefore, verse 25, because you are who you are, live it out. Enjoy it. Be free in it. And he uses this wonderful metaphor of clothing in these verses different wardrobes. The clothes we wear reflect who we are. The bride wears a beautiful white dress. The barrister wears a wig. An astronaut wears a space helmet. So it goes on. And Paul here draws a contrast between two sets of clothing. What a contrast they are. The sort of clothes we used to wear, um, and we need to set them aside and encouraging us to throw them away have nothing more to do with them. Burn them. In the early days, um, Christians were symbolically 
at their baptism, taking off their clothes, naked before God, and baptized in water before rising and being given a white robe, bath towel, symbolizing uh, the righteousness of Christ. Wonderfully symbolic. I'm not sure that we should reintroduce naked baptism quite yet, but the symbolism is there. So we don't wear this stuff. We don't wear falsehood anymore. Instead, verse 25, we speak the truth. When we're asked, how are you? We just don't do the British response of fine, whatever we're feeling, if that's untrue. We're honest about the struggles we have, the problems we face. Honesty and openness fits with who we are in Christ. We don't wear the old bright red dress of anger, which was so attractive once, verse 26, yelling at people, giving vent to our unruly irritation. We don't hold on to our, our grudges, which they quickly turn to bitterness and gives the devil a foothold. Instead, we are quick to apologize within 24 hours. Let the sun go down. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Of course, there may be times when it's right to be angry, verse 26. Um, I, we lost Billy Graham last week, the great preacher uh, who's now more alive than he ever was before uh, in heaven. Um, and I've been reading through some of his quotes. One of the famous ones is always, the Bible says. He, he was, I had the privilege of hearing him in 66 at uh, Earl's Court. Wonderful. Anyway, uh, but I was actually struck by something his wife said as I was reading through all these quotes. She was Ruth Graham. She was asked with... Um, Billy being away so often, whether she ever considered um, divorce. And uh, she replied, uh, no, murder, yes. <laughs> An honest reality of, uh, of relation, close relationship that um, perhaps some of us identify with. Um, not me, not me, not me. Okay, we put off stealing. Let me, I think it's time I moved on. Um, we're meant to um, rinse our mouths out spiritually too. Um, have you ever stopped to think what a wonderful gift speech is? How wonderful worship is. That's why we've been given voices that sing. Yeah, it's great to sing other stuff, but actually we were given this gift in, in order to worship God. The animals aren't able to do that. They, are, they praise God. Creation praises God in different ways. But we alone can come to intimacy in worship, in song. Um, cows moo, dogs bark, and pigs grunt. But God speaks, and so do we. So how demeaning to use this wonderful gift that God has given, speech, to be crude or vulgar, or hurtful or unhelpful. So much harm is caused by unhelpful words. One of the great lies that I was taught was sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What rubbish. 
Words can do more, more hurt than sticks and stones. There'll be some here still haunted by cruel words said to them by a teacher or a parent or a spouse. Praise God that he's dealt with all that. But we need to respond to be who we are. We need to speak what will build others up. My grand, one of my grandson's school has a, had a little notice in the hall which I thought was really good and I've adopted it. Think before you speak with a little acrostic. I like acrostics. So T is, is it true? Secondly, is it helpful, H? I, is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? The effect it's had on me is make me speak a lot less. <laughs> Actually, most of the time I forget about it, but when I do remember, I, I find what happens is I, I shut up a bit more. If we followed that, I, I guarantee that we would all speak rather less, and certainly what we would say would benefit and build up those who listen, verse 29. So get rid of those old clothes. Decide today that however attractive they are, however much you enjoyed them in the past, put them to one side, burn them figuratively. Um, they weren't really very attractive in the first place, and they grieve the Holy Spirit, verse 30. Instead, put on the stunning outfits that God offers in his wardrobe. Kindness and compassion, verse 32. Make sure you always wear the long coat of forgiveness that covers so many hurts and other things. Remember how God forgave you in Christ, verse 32. At a time you never deserved it. So imitate him. Verse 1, chapter 5, and we're into the next chapter, so I better not go too long. You should imitate, if you're a Christian, we should imitate his characteristics and live a life of love. We together, not just individually, as the church of St. Barnabas, should imitate God. We all tend to imitate those we admire. Children imitate the, their parents often causing much amusement. Then it's pop stars. I myself used to do an exceedingly good imitation of Mick Jagger, um, but I've given that up recently. <laughs> Christians imitate those whom they admire too, um, in all sorts of ways. Um, is there a worship leader or a group leader or a church leader that you particularly admire? You will pick up their characteristics. I was um, curate to John Collins, one of the great uh, trainers of curates. And it's fascinating how all those curates pick up his characteristics. We all say two verys when one would be enough. Thank you very, very much. Um, and one or two other things, which I won't draw attention to unless I, in case I start falling into them. Sometimes, of course, it can go too far. There were, there were, in the great revival in, in Wales in uh, 1904, there was one tremendous preacher who had the magnificent uh, long um, haircut, a mane of hair like a lion. And he would stride up and down the stage, preaching his heart out, 
And every now and again, when he made a particularly powerful point, he would pause and fling his hair back <laughs> and run his, um, his hand. Is that still there or has it come on? <laughs> Where is it? <laughs> Sorry. It was before the days of um, this sort of... Is it still there? Am I, am I on a go? Anyway, he would do that. And um, in, in no time at all, all over Wales, there were young preachers, including one who was even balder than I am, who would stop and make a point and run their, their hand over their pate. So it can go too far. But it's a reminder that we, we need to be careful. We do reproduce who we are. Leaders, you will reproduce who you are, which is a great encouragement and challenge. Make sure you reproduce God. Paul says you are children of God, so imitate your father. And as his children, let's develop our father's characteristics and so live a life of sacrificial love, just as, as Christ did. Are you willing to commit to that? Now, it's easier to say yes on a weekend like this. We're surrounded by the, the church family. We're, we're full of encouragement and faith. It's not so easy tomorrow, is it? This is definitely an indication I ought to come to an end. It's not so easy when we get back to the office and we're the only Christian. It's not so easy when we've had the children all day and we're at the end of our tether. But we need to commit to this life and we need the support of the scriptures, the church, the small group. So are you willing to say yes to whatever God's challenging you about? And I, I'm going to just end with a prayer and then a time of quiet. And the two questions on the, on the sheet that I handed out, which I hope you still got, these are the two questions. What major truth did the Holy Spirit underline for you this weekend? And secondly, what one action are you going to take as a result of this weekend? Now, it may be that there's half a dozen thoughts that you have. There may be three actions that you're already sure about, but I'm cautious about that. I don't want to add too much to my to-do list. But can we just cope with one thing? Can we dare to believe that there's one thing particularly that God wants to underline and one thing that he particularly wants us to do? So easy to think, well, I'll do this when I get back home. I need to make sure the car's ready. In. But the danger with that is you never get it done. So I suggest we just be quiet as individuals before God and make those decisions. Are you happy to do that? Let's do that. Let's just pray and then Andy will come and take over. Heavenly Father, thank you again so, so much.
for all your extraordinary goodness to us. Thank you again this morning for the beauty of creation, for rescuing us from the mess in which we lived. Thank you for giving us soft hearts and making us a new creation. Thank you for bringing us into your family. Help us now, as we're quiet before you, to, to hear what you're saying to us as a child of God. Thank you that we are no longer slaves to fear. Help us in our decision-making that we may imitate you for Jesus' sake. Amen.